Okay, hello everybody and welcome to Investing with IBD for January 22nd, 2020. I'm your host, Arusha Pierce, and with me today is Ian Formigle, VP of Investments at CrowdStreet. Thanks for being here, Ian. Oh, Arusha, it's a pleasure to be on the show today. Thanks for having me. On today's podcast, for the first two segments, we are going to talk with Ian about CrowdStreet and the changes that are happening in the commercial real estate investing space. And then in the final segment, we will bring Mike Webster on and we'll go over the current market and three current stocks. So Ian, let's get into how you got into this space. This is a brand new space that's been happening for uh, four or five years now, right? How did you end up there? It's pretty fascinating. Yeah, so, you know, the original vision was to democratize access to investing in commercial real estate for individuals. And so what is in the form, what is generally referred to on the street is crowdfunding. And so really that began. So that journey began with incorporating the company in 2012, but really then, you know, launching our marketplace in April of 2014. And, you know, over the course of that history now, you know, getting to the point where today we operate the most diverse marketplace for direct equity investments in commercial real estate, literally anywhere in the world. And so what we're doing is we're transforming how people invest in commercial real estate. And we're doing it by making it accessible and efficient and transparent and doing that all online and making it really accessible to the individual at scale for for maybe like the first time ever. So it's exciting place to be in today. Yeah. And and so this has been around for four to five years now, right? So, or I mean, a little bit longer than that. Uh, a, l- a little bit longer, but yeah, but, but roughly, yeah. I mean, roughly five years. I mean, you look back to legislation in 2013 that passed that yeah. was really the catalyst for, for online real estate investing to occur. And that was the Jobs Act. So passed in 2012, Title II of it went live in 2013. And that was honestly really the catalyst for platforms like CrowdStreet. Okay. And before that, before 2012, 2013, before the Jobs Act came out, uh, what were you doing? Walk us through your your, your career before uh, ending up sure. at Broad Street. Sure. So my career dates back to the mid-1990s. It's always been in investing in one way, shape, or form. Uh, it began actually as a, a, I was a derivatives trader. So I was an okay. equity options market maker. Wow. Uh, so I, I participated in the end of the area of standing in a crowd and wearing a jacket and making two-sided markets and, and equity options. That's so cool. Um, I did that for about six or six. Yeah, it was, it was, it was a fun period. Uh, I guess I got to experience the end of the days. It was, it was, you know, it was great to be a young, uh, you know, single person just being in the pits and trading it was, right. it was, it was a blast. <laughs> so, um, you know, the early 2000s as, as that we knew, you know, I kind of knew at that time that that was uh, coming to a close. I started to actually direct my focus on what was going to be the next thing in my career. Um, I had come out of a real estate family, uh, coincidentally. So I, I had always known the value of real estate for how you could buy it, improve it, operate it and, you know, create wealth through it. Yeah. And so that became what I started to do. And so I started to actually do it individually by buying single family homes like many investors around the country and it was after a few years of doing that that led to scaling up to multifamily and so then i began to syndicate multifamily deals for a number of years um, it was that experience that led me to a number of years then going to an institutional 
real estate private equity firm. Okay. And then uh, creating large joint venture deals with big institutions and acquiring, you know, $100 million assets in major cities. And then it was after a number of years of, of seeing, you know, how we, how we create value um, at scale through commercial real estate and understanding risk and reward there, uh, that when CrowdStreet was getting going in 2014, they approached me for uh, becoming their chief investment officer. So, you know, that's, that's my role today. Okay. And, and so you have all this expertise in, in real estate and investing and, and gathering people together to, to buy larger buildings, which is uh, really impressive. Uh, now, the, the, the people who approached you in, at CrowdStreet, what were they doing? The, what are the, co-found, the, the co-founders? What, what were their expertise? Sure. So the, the two co-founders had you know, a diverse skill set that then brought them together, you know, oriented around the same mission of you know, getting access to into individuals for commercial real estate investing. One of whom, the original founder of the company who picked it up in 2012 and, and then got it launched, uh, he was a commercial real estate broker uh, by background. Okay. And then previous to that, he was actually a technology executive. So he'd been on both sides. Uh, and so he, he, was, he was very passionate about seeing what had happened during the downturn, seeing how you know too much power vested into too few hands uh, could create bad outcomes in the financial world, and wanted to disaggregate you know that control. And so he he got the company going, and then at the end of 2013, he attracted then his co-founder, who was a executive in the internet software industry, and had been bringing online experiences to you know to individuals through platforms like Earthlink and, you know, multiple, another uh, a, a successful startup in the security space that was based in Portland, Oregon, which is where we're based. And so it was the, the genesis of those two coming together um, to get the company live. And then I was one of two key executives who then joined right after the platform went live uh, to really to kind of pick it up and, and then make something of it. And so it was seeing the skill sets that were assembled at the table knowing that they, what they were seeking was the expertise of real estate private equity, which was, since that was my background, I felt comfortable that I could be a key contributor in that arena. And so really when you pair real estate expertise with you know, technology expertise, you, you can have the makings of a successful you know, real estate crowdfunding platform. Yeah, and, and yet, yet another example of how technology is disrupting all, all, of, these, uh, all of these environments that were yeah. essentially established for hundreds of years, right? You, you, and you, you mentioned before, uh, yeah, there, there was just too much power in the hands of the few, right? Who, who would, normal people wouldn't necessarily invest in commercial real estate, but now it's, it's pretty remarkable how technology has enabled us or enabled you guys to provide that service. Absolutely. I mean, you know, the, the concept of syndication had been, a concept and it had been a practice that had been around in the United States for over a hundred years and in the mm. world for hundreds of years. I mean, you can look back into Renaissance Europe and, and find syndications, right? People coming together to capitalize something right. privately. And so, you know, what we saw was it was, it was, it was a breaking of a mold. I mean, in the, you know, in the 1930s, you know, so the depression leading into the, you know, the, the stock market collapse of 29 leading into the depression of the thirties, you know, you saw legislation that came out during the reset, during the depression period that was that set the stage for then what happened and just saying, hey, we need to pull syndication away from people. We need to make it private and offline. And so that was what began, you know, 70 years of consolidation. 
And it was literally the Jobs Act of kind of, you know, kind of breaking a hole in that, which was then enabled it to make it more accessible again. So, you know, legislation kind of created the current paradigm leading up until 2013. You know, now legislation, again, creating the new paradigm, which is now bringing it back to, you know, the hands of, of people around the country. Yeah. And, and and that's kind of for any industry. A lot of times legislation will just turn the tables. Right. And, and those who are quick. And, and recognize this change and this opportunity. They're the ones a lot of times, if they're one of those first movers, they can really capitalize. And and so uh, CrowdStreet was one of the first movers to truly capitalize on this change, right? It, it was. You know, we were lucky to be one of the handful of platforms uh, that, that got out early and, and it, you know, and it cemented at least early on, definitely, then, you know, a thought leadership position within the space. Yeah. And then it was continuing to build upon our own momentum, you know, that kept us at, at the top of the conversation, um, you know, to the point where then we've scaled now to where we, you know, now we have really cemented our place, you know, kind of as one of the, the few, you know, large, largest players in the space. And so, you know, uh, but getting out early was definitely huge because that gave us a lot of great industry press uh, you know, that gave us attention, which then, you know, attracted investors over the years. Right. And, and now speaking of the investors, what, what are the type of investors who can participate and, and, uh, you know, be part of CrowdStreet and take advantage of some of the deals? Yeah. So the investors on the CrowdStreet marketplace are individuals, uh, but it's also fair to say that they are relatively high net worth individuals. Mm -hmm. And so the key criteria for participating in an investment on a marketplace is around being an accredited investor. And so without going into too much details, it essentially means individuals who have an income of $200,000 a year or greater, jointly $300,000 or greater, or a, a net worth of $1 million exclusive of your personal rep residence. Okay. So if you can check one of those three boxes, you meet the definition of an accredited investor and you're eligible to invest in anything that is on our marketplace. Okay. And and uh, so now a lot of these individual investors, what what's kind of the typical amount that they invest in these real estates? Because it's it requires a lot of money to to, to yeah. participate, right? Or just a pool of money Correct. to get into commercial real estate, especially. Yeah, uh, you know the average investment size on our marketplace is roughly fifty thousand dollars, and they're going to go. Our minimums are twenty five, uh, and then certain investors will invest six figures and even a couple at seven figures, but. You know, but typically it's going to be anywhere from fifty to a hundred thousand on average. Okay. Uh, with, within with a lot of people participating at twenty five k, you know, and I'd say the last thing on this note is that you know the reason I would say first and foremost why we're seeing you know the traction that we are is that this type of increment of eligibility to invest in the kinds of deals that are in our marketplace, it's just something that wasn't available a decade ago. Right. You might have had the opportunity to meet a developer with a deal probably in your metro uh, and then they were pulling together capital from a handful of individuals but given that real estate is capital intensive they always need to assemble millions of dollars for any given acquisition and so that would typically mean well you take the the, the deal size you divide it by the number of individuals and that's going to give you your what we would say the average ticket size okay. so in the past that often looked like 250,000 you know, now today it looks like twenty-five to fifty uh, because of the technology that we've harnessed around this space. And and you do you see in the future this getting even more spread out, more uh, of a democratized view where the 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 amount that you need to invest, or even people don't have to necessarily be accredited investors. Do do you see that eventually on the horizon? Uh, you know, I do. I think over time the answer will be that 
this uh, you know this transition, which is in occurrence right now, will continue its momentum. Uh, probably it's going to require additional legislation to take it to the next level. There has been some that has been passed so far that has brought uh, commercial real estate to non-accredited investors. Okay. You know, the unfortunate part about it is it's in a fund structure, so it, it's really only eligible for certain types. So what we would say is in the future, more more accessibility through legislation probably is going to what breaks us out to the next level. Perfect. Okay, Ian, let's take a quick break, but when we return... Uh, we'll go over some examples uh, of properties that are uh, on the CrowdStreet platform. So stay tuned. Pick winning stocks with MarketSmith. Growth 250 shows you ideas with big potential. View charts packed with key data. Use pattern recognition to see action zones. MarketSmith by Investors Business Daily. Try three weeks for $19.95. Ian Formigle is our guest on Investing with IBD. Okay, Ian, let's get into some more details uh, uh, with CrowdStreet. And I think the best way to start this segment, to, to make us all understand this concept better, is let's just go over a couple of examples where, where some of your investors can, can get into and, and participate in some of these properties. Sure, absolutely. Uh, so so what, what, one example is uh, Nobu, right, in D.C. That, that was one, one, one example that we, when we were sp- speaking earlier, that you know people love going to that restaurant. You can actually... Uh, participate and invest in that restaurant that's generating yield over a time period, right? Yeah. You know, the Nobu deal was a great example of, I always say that, you know, great deals have great stories attached to them. Yeah. And in this case, the the story behind the Nobu deal. So this is a, you know, this is the Nobu restaurant in Washington, DC, you know, in the heart of Georgetown and, you know, and what we saw on the West end. And so, and what we saw in this deal was an operator who had redeveloped uh, the entire building, had uh, converted an office building into condominiums, luxury condominiums, and had sold those off. Okay. And then what had had was had the commercial space on the ground floor had attracted Nobu to come into that you know location. And as we know, Nobu is a you know very successful international restaurant company. It's it's backed by Robert De Niro and the original um, chef Nobu. Oh, wow. And so yeah. you know. What they saw in that deal was, hey, we have a we have a great asset in a great location uh, that we have that we have somehow managed this fantastic restaurant to come in and sign a long term lease, and yes, we could probably spin that off and sell it with the rest of everything else that was going you know being sold in that building, but that operator wanted to keep that asset long term because it had great cash flow, okay. and so they brought the asset to us and said, hey, what do you think? It needs you know it's it needs a certain amount of equity. We like Nobu and the deal long term. We looked at the cash flow and, and saw an ability to earn, you know, a, a, call it a 15 to 16 percent annualized rate of return over a long period of time and and participate in the success of, of Nobu. And so, you know, it was just a great opportunity, I think, to, you know, you can take an asset, you could put a long term lease on it. The long term lease can have great tenant attached to it. And that gives you great cash flow over a long period of time. Yeah. Uh, for the individual investor, who would have ever thought that you could you know, participate in the cash flow that that a Nobu generates uh, from from that. Exactly. So, yeah. So I mean, it is kind of uh, mind blowing that that these opportunities are starting to appear for you know, normal normal type investors. Uh, now, on 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 the CrowdStreet platform, what's generally the 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 time period for for the holdings? 
uh, there. Just just give. I know that they vary, but yeah. just kind of a general. Yep. So while holding periods can range anywhere from two years up to ten years or so, you know the average targeted holding period is five years. Okay. And you know that word targeted is important because it is the expectation of the operator, uh, but it's not guaranteed. It will end up being shorter or longer on average, uh, but gravitating around five years. And also uh, now with real estate, and and you know because you 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 invested in real estate for plenty of years, you know there there are a lot of tax benefits when when, when you can ma- manage it or, or build it right. You know, do, do you are, are there some uh, tax benefits that that people participate in uh, when when they're doing uh, investing in properties through CrowdStreet? Absolutely. Uh, one of the key differences in a in a private equity real estate holding versus something like a real estate investment trust mm-hmm. is that you do get this benefit of the of the pass through of the depreciation of the asset okay. that can give you passive losses while you're actually receiving cash in your pocket. Uh, it, it's a tax strategy that sophisticated investors employ, and the ones on the marketplace certainly enjoy the benefits. Uh, okay, Ian, let's go over a second example of, of uh, a property that's been on your platform. Yeah, happy to. So I would say another deal that stands out uh, is a deal that we did in April of 2019. Uh, and this is a, a ground up development of a 160,000 square foot office building in downtown Milwaukee. When we when we, we liked this deal, when it was a, when it approached us, uh, because we had a, an operator and a developer that was highly entrenched in Milwaukee, had great relationships uh, across the municipality. Uh, and had you could tell that they had a lot of local buy-in on this particular deal. And also what stood out to us was we had a large law firm, an 800-person law firm, mm-hmm. that had signed up to be the anchor tenant on the deal. So about half of the building was full on day one. So that gave you gives you a lot of confidence and also patience for filling up the other half. So, And I think the last thing was that this was an example of a deal where downtown Milwaukee is not uh, – it, it's not New York and it's not San Francisco – and so it sometimes falls a little bit off the radar of the biggest institutional and global investors. Right. But we saw a lot of momentum in downtown Milwaukee. And what we saw was, you know, buy in from companies that are ready and willing to pay for brand new class A office development in a city that just hasn't seen a lot of it in the last 15 years. So I think that all came together and it resonated in a story that made a lot of sense to us. So we were happy to be a part of that deal. Uh, we contributed $14 million towards that deal. And the good news is now the building is going vertical. It's on time and it's on budget. And the leasing traction has been very strong. So I think when it's all said and done, we're going to feel very fortunate to be a part of that deal uh, two or three years from now. And, and so let's just the, – the the fact that Milwaukee's really growing and stuff like that, I, I'm, I wasn't aware of that. So, so you 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 have you're doing due diligence on on larger real estate trends that are going on. You're, you're placing your bets on on companies that or, or buildings that could really really thrive and start attracting uh, new investors. Uh, what what is going on in Milwaukee? Uh, yeah, so I mean, you, all you have to do is so look at the downtown. Uh, look at how the Bucks Arena was redeveloped. Yeah. Look at the development that has occurred around it in the form of a lot of new multifamily. So in essence, what's occurring in Milwaukee right now is uh, it is an urbanization trend. Okay. Some cities are further along in that trend. We all know that Denver and Austin and Nashville have major urbanization trends right. that have been well underway for a decade. Yep. You know, Milwaukee doesn't have a, an over a decade of 
tenure of its urbanization trend, it's got a few years. But what that tells me is when you see those well, a lot of money being you know invested in downtown, I mean, literally multi-billions of dollars, light rail coming in, new hotels being developed, now new office. You you have a story of saying urbanization trend is underway, yeah. and it, it's better to be one of the fir- earlier movers than one of the later movers from a return standpoint. Right. No, that that's that's really great. Yeah. Thank you. So let's go. Let's go to the third example here. Yeah. So the third example from last year that I think was just one that really I think epitomized kind of what crowdfunding can do in commercial real estate is what we is a, it's called 100 Edgewood. And it is a 19-story office tower redevelopment in the, in downtown Atlanta, in the Central Business District. And in this case, it was brought to us by a group called Parkway, uh, who's a major owner and operator of office properties throughout the Southeast. Their current portfolio is about $4 billion. Okay. And they had this asset that they brought to us and said, hey, we're buying a great property. It's currently 100% vacant. It sits in an opportunity zone. And so we're going to acquire it for about $57 a foot. We're going to invest about $200 a foot to completely remake this property into a class A, you know, essentially brand new building in a 1965, you know, vintage, you know, shell. But we're going to we're going to deliver a class A experience. And but yet we can offer rents that are going to be a third less than the, the equivalent rent would be in Atlanta's Midtown, which for people who are familiar with Atlanta is kind of where you know, it, it's it's kind of the main and main. It's where the highest rents in the city currently reside, along with a place like, you know, maybe like Buckhead. Okay. So what we saw was that this is a deal where, you know, we're seeing a trend of going back to downtown. Downtown is having, you know, great, re, you know, kind of revitalization of restaurants and walking districts. You know, we're also seeing that, you know, hey, downtown has the infrastructure in place. It's got MARTA. This building was two blocks away from a MARTA stop. It literally had a light rail stop in front of the building. And then we were seeing food halls and things like that show up, you know, just down the street. And so we, what we saw was a great opportunity to come in, work with a group that was intent on redeveloping the asset and attracting more office users to downtown and then to deliver, you know, fantastic returns while, while they're doing it, while they're making Atlanta downtown a better place. Very cool. Now, in is there a, uh, <laughs> what, where's a good place for investors to go or potential investors to go to educate themselves on this? Because uh, it, it is a, a pretty new trend. And as you can see, I'm, I'm pretty clueless on this. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, we always begin by, by recommending that investors just simply go to our website. That's www.crowdstreet.com. You know, there you're going to find a wealth of information on everything from kind of the nomenclature that goes into what, you know, these terms about real estate investing, you know, current opportunities that are available on the marketplace, previous opportunities like the ones that we just discussed that went off the marketplace and, and every everywhere in between. Uh, we host live webinars constantly. And so what I always recommend to investors is, you know, we operate a marketplace, which means deals are always coming and they always will come and the key thing is you know invest when you're ready into what you're ready to invest in Um, and in the meanwhile you know come participate in some of the education that's available come attend a webinar get to know us better get to know you know real estate operators better you know this is really what it's all about at the end of the day it's just about 
making this online and transparent for the individual. That's awesome. Now, I asked you this before we started recording, but I'll ask you it again, Ian. Uh, you guys thinking about going public in, in uh, the near future or in a, in a few years? <laughs> I, Arusha, we, we've got a long road ahead of us still. We've got a lot to accomplish. Uh, you know, we've been fortunate to get to where we are over the last five to six years. I think it's another five to six years before we really even have that kind of conversation internally. Uh, right now, it's about scaling our company. Uh, the good news is the success that we've enjoyed uh, and the capital we've been able to attract to our company gives us a great runway. And so we are just essentially heads down for the next few years you know, really trying to take the platform to the next level, you know, do right by investors. And then from there, we'll, we'll begin to have, you know, maybe other types of conversations uh, once we get to that point in time, but nothing, nothing immediate in the future. Okay, thanks. Uh, so software continues to eat the world and CrowdStreet is yet another great example of how technology is disrupting and affecting the commercial real estate business. Thanks, Ian, for being on the show today. Oh, it was my pleasure, Arusha. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to do it. And, and as you can tell, I, I love talking about deals and real estate. Coming up next, Mike Webster, head of market strategy at IBD, will join us. And we're going to talk about current markets and three current stocks. We'll be back. Want to find stocks like the ones on this podcast? A lot of the best names we talk about come from IBD's exclusive stock list, like the IBD 50 and the Big Cap 20. Whatever type of investor you are, we got a list for you. You can access every one of IBD's lists, plus stock ratings, exclusive analysis, and one-on-one -on -one coaching with a membership to IBD Digital. It costs less than a dollar a day, but for podcast listeners, we're offering an even better price. Go to Investors.com slash podcast offer right now and get your first two months for only $20. We are back on investing with IBD, and for I'll the third good. segment, I and promise. he's already interrupting me, <laughs> and you may recognize this interruption <laughs> uh, if you're watching IBD Live, but we have Mike Webster back, head of market strategy I'm at so IBD. I'm so shocked that you have me back, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's trust like, me, I'm, I'm, I'm regretting every well, second of this. I mean, it was two weeks ago when you had not learned your lesson. <laughs> no, I mean, it, it is always fun to have you back, Mike, and I have to do this for, oh, I'm you know, sorry. for- uh, just podcast etiquette. Oh, thanks for joining us, Mike. <laughs> I didn't want to be here. You made me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Mike. Let's get into the current market. We have we have a a, a lot of content to talk about in, the, yeah, in this segment. Mike, as always, Mike is intense. Mike uh, does his research, and he has a lot of really cool things to share. And so, let's get in the current market. Then we'll go into some precedents that that you are looking at. Sure. With this current market. Okay. So right now, the current market, it just. It's a bear market. Up. <laughs> oh wait, no. I was thinking of yeah, last year. Confused, no, no. Yeah. yeah. So look, not a lot has changed since last time. We've just gotten, you know, stronger and stronger. And at the you know, if you rewind like a month or so, I was looking at this upper channel line and I was very concerned that we were getting to the top of it. Right. And then once we got through it, I thought we were gonna back away and we come to the lower channel line. That's how channels work, right? You have an upper exactly. and a lower. And we got to the upper, and we just kept plugging along. And sometimes yeah. that's what happens too, right? Right. It, it, it breaks the upper channel line, and it might start accelerating too. And yeah, so if you look at the angle of it, it just it just it wasn't dramatic, yeah. but it was just slightly higher. And yeah. then the lower channel line too, if you draw it, you can see that it inched up a and bit. It's kind of getting like a little bit more tighter, narrower. 
uh, band that's yeah, going but it's constructive. It, it's yeah. constructive, but yeah. it, it concerned me a bit. So what I wanted to do is just what Bill has taught us to do is when you when you're concerned about something or you want to know something, just go back to the history mm -hmm. and study it because that's where you find your answers. So what I did is. I said, okay, what's unique about this time? Is that we've been above the 50-day for a long period of time. Right. So, you know, I had Prabeen, which is the, the programmer that we have access to down at IBD, great guy, does great work, and just said, okay, um, you know, how many days have we been above the 50-day, and what are some other examples of this? And he was already doing some of this work anyways for Chris Gessel, so, okay. and he was looking at the 200-day, and so, I then took that data and I just went in history and looked at all the times where we had been above the 50-day for as long as we had. And that's just an old school Bill O'Neill approach to doing research, open mind, look at it and say, okay, I was concerned. I thought we were going to do this one thing. Right. Didn't happen. Yep. So readjust, be flexible. And so we're going to go through some of those examples now, and I think you'll, um, they're very eye-opening. Now, on my Twitter feed, which um, – have you seen my Twitter feed before? No, I haven't, I've Mike. been known to tweet once yeah, or twice. I, yeah, you have you – have, and that's why you're here. I wanted to give you the award for the most tweets in, <laughs> I think in, I probably in the shortest amount of time. You beat Kim Kardashian. Congrats. Um, well, yeah, but she's cute and, you know, I'm <laughs> fat and ugly, so what are you going to do? Um, but anyways, let's go through these, and we'll, we'll do them in chronological order. Now, um, if, the reason why I brought up the Twitter feed is if you go onto mine, it's M. Webster, 1971. Um, I've posted all of the times where we were uh, above it for this long, but yeah. we're just going to do a select few, and these are the ones that I think look more like what we're dealing with. So <clears throat> if you look at the current NASDAQ, we have an arrow there for the day that it went above the um, the 50-day. And, so, and so you can look at it on Mike's or you go on investors.com slash podcast if you want to follow along with the video. Exactly. Um, and it's on um, October 11th. So that was the day that we were above the 50-day. Okay. We gapped up. And so that's going to be the reference point for these charts that we're going to look at. And so let's look at the first one. And it's um, the end date is October 17th, 1978. And so most of these, what I was doing is looking at the time frame from when you're above the 50-day until you were below it. Um, and most of the time, the, the high was below the 50-day. You can see in there, there's a couple days where you're underneath it. So it's more of an art form than an exact science. Okay. The computer printed out the other date, but I looked at it and said, this is part of this larger move. So the first arrow you're seeing, you know, equate that back to October, um, our current October. Right. And then where that second arrow is, is that's where we are in time, you know, okay. going into this past weekend. So roughly about 14 weeks or so, I think uh, it was. And, yeah, so 14 weeks it's been above the 50-day. Exactly. Okay. So the, the point of this exercise is to look at it and say, everyone's saying we've gone so far, you know, we've got to pull back, it, it's got to be over, it's getting euphoric, is to just look and see, do we have other examples? And here are other examples where, you know, this is only not even halfway through this move that you had. And it didn't right. mean that after this that you went into bear markets. It right. was just this was the sweet spot, the trending spot where you, you're going to make a bunch of money. Yep. And um, so that looks relatively similar to what we've got going on right now, where it was that kind of that tight uptrend. Now, this did have a decent correction pullback into the 50-day um, the right after the um, – 
that arrow there. Right. So that's right. a possibility that we could have and then just resumed. Yeah, it took, took like a month off and then, then yeah. resumed its trend again. Which would be normal. Let's go to the next one. Let's see. And so the Which next one is date? that? Um, is it 1980? Yeah, December 9th, 1980. So this setup was a little different than what we have now because you were coming after a correction. Yes. You know, so yes. that you know, gives you a different type of feel, but you can see how steady that move was. If you look at the, the lines we have there, we have the 200-day, which is the black line, the, the red line, which is the 50-day, and then the 21 exponential, which is the blue one, and how tight it was. Mm -hmm. Imagine feeling kind of like I was a month ago, just going, this can't last right. for this long. Right. Yeah. But you look at history, yeah. that's why, you know, Bill has taught us, just look at history, and you can see what's what's possible and then eventually, you know, it does crack, it can't stay above it forever. But here's another example where about halfway through the move is where we're at now. Yeah, um, yeah. Anything you wanted to no, note on I, this I, one? And, and with this 1980 example, uh, this is climbing a big wall of worry. Right. Right, yeah, and, and it just kept going. So it's everyone is waiting for that pullback. They missed out on this tremendous opportunity. Well, we like, have nothing have to, to worry about mind. right now because, you know, we don't have conflicts with Iran or possibly North Korea coming back up. We don't have the the president, you know, uh, in an election year possibly being impeached. Right. Or yeah, wait, it's, it's, we we do have some problems, <laughs> and we've got earnings season. So yeah, you know, and but the look charts at, in the end, the charts are going to give. It's going to tell you the 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 really the feeling of the market, whether that's significant news or not. Right. And for right now, it just seems like it just keeps brushing it off, which is a characteristic of a good market. It, yeah, classic bull. Okay, right. the next one, this one is really powerful. The 1983, July 8th, 1983 okay. is the end date. Wow. And yeah, really, really powerful. So I could see something like this happening. And especially with today's action, you know, it kind of felt like a downside reversal, you know, ish. Some speculative stocks were getting hit. And mm -hmm. you could see something like that happening. And it doesn't even touch the 50-day. It just resolves itself. And what would you say? This is about a third of the way? It's on, yeah, this is a third of the way. <laughs> and, 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 and this one, it, it takes three, four weeks off, maybe a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. Right, so you had that one kind of really scary yeah. moment, and and at that point, you know, it's natural for a lot of us to say, "Oh, it's over," you know, be too aggressive to the downside and just get out, and and you could do that, but uh, you want to keep in mind that, yeah, you want to be in. flexible, and that's always been my problem, is you know, I'm quick to get out, but then sometimes just uh, it's hard for me to change that bearish mentality or, or kind of that fear that I might have. Well, you, you told me once, yeah. it's not a problem anymore. I'm going to tell true. you it's not a problem. Be Gumby. You know, like Eddie that. Murphy Gumby from, you know, Saturday Night Live. Just be Gumby. <laughs> be flexible. <laughs> you know, I, I, I think I should be the Eddie, the Eddie Murphy version <laughs> yeah, of Gumby. Yeah, just be Gumby. And if you were in that situation, you start coming down, you're going, you know, if the market's down 1%, our stocks are down 4 or right. 5%. Exactly. If you're on margin, you know, that's hurting. Exactly. And you have to react. And so you react. And then if the market stabilizes, then you, you, you just be Gumby. And to just go back in, right? And you know? and you don't. Have, and that's how and Bill has always traded. Very yeah. very flexible. Yeah, and 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 that's the key. And 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 it's not like yeah, maybe get off margin, right? Yeah. Maybe get a little bit under a hundred percent. It doesn't have to be go to zero yeah. percent because then if you go to zero percent, it's 
it's even harder. harder to get back in. Yeah. Right. So that that's uh, so as Mike to- told me last year, it's not a problem anymore, yep. which it isn't because <laughs> I've been scaling a lot more yeah. back in and out. Uh, but uh, the this 1983 example that that we're looking at right now. It's amazing at how long that this rally went. It was a good. And that was nine the beginning of the major of the bull, bull market, market right? You know? Yeah. Um, so that that was a very special one, um, and that was you know around the Reagan tax cut time frame. Okay, right. so let's see what our next one is. I just got to so get eighty six. Eighty six. Okay, okay so let me pull up eighty six. So July eleventh, nineteen eighty six. Yeah. So very kind of. I think everyone who's looking at these, and hopefully you're either pulling these up uh, when you get home, if you're you know, maybe listening. I listen to your podcast in the car on my way home. I, I, uh, you have the most amazing podcast, by the way. The especially when pro- you're on, Mike. Yes. The only problem is, <laughs> is um, the only problem is I can't, when I listen, I can't see you smile. And you're just like, you got the best smile. But pull these up or go on to investors.com and watch this podcast so you can see these charts. And and they all have that same look and feel to them. And this is about a little bit more than a third of the way in there, but how tight it just inched up, inched up, inched up. And like you said, the wall of worry yeah. that you have. And let's do the final one. And, th- and that, that was the 86... Another incredible, incredible rally. Huge opportunity to do very, very well. Right. And then let's see. The last one is 1995. 1995 um, October, October 4th. Yep. Yeah, October 4th, 1995. And so now this is getting a little bit more recent. Um, so you can see the moves are a little bit more dramatic. And, and towards the end there, um, you know, you do have some wild swings. Yeah. But look at it. That's like a quarter of the way. Yeah. And honestly, for, for this one, in, in my opinion, and I have to look at these a little bit closer. But w- when I look on the daily chart for this, it, it looks like this market went sideways for a good amount of time, mm-hmm. kind of like what we went through. Now we went through what, like eighteen months or so sideways action. Yeah. I don't know how long this one went, but it, it looks like it went for a, a, at least a year uh, sideways, and then once it takes off, it just slowly crawls up, and then it slowly accelerates more and more, and then. Then you kind of get that euphoria. Yeah, very similar. So when you get a chance, people should pull this up on a weekly chart and look at it, you know, relative to what we're we're going through. But the point of this exercise, and I call it just another Bill O'Neill exercise, is to see what's possible. Doesn't mean this is going to happen, but just like we look at model stocks, we want to see what is this potential. I mean, we could have hit the peak today and then we just crash tomorrow, 1987 crash, but What's likely is the way we're set up, the way we've been able to brush off really significant news is that we're more in something like this. And we've got earnings, it's gonna get volatile, but you know, so far the market is telling us we're more likely to in something like this and we've, you know, maybe just a third of the way. Yeah, no, I, it's this was really valuable. I mean, it's very, very helpful because it's 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 so natural to think, okay, the movie's over. But this really puts into perspective. So yeah. thank you. Uh, let's go into a few current stocks. We we have we have a little bit sure. of time here. Uh, <clears throat> and uh, the first stock is Costco. Okay, ticker symbol C O S T. C just in case. Love this stock, right? And and we we we're we're both proud Costco members. We're Costco members, and I'm a Costco shareholder, too. You know, yeah. um, you, too? Yes. Yeah, okay. So, um, 
you know, looking at a monthly of this, you can see that it's had some incredible moves over the years. Now, it's now let's you know flip over to a weekly to kind of get that context. That this is not a high flyer, so this is nice to have in your portfolio if you're trading what we call kind of high octane heat That's type true. of stocks. Right. Is to have a Costco in there that you know on any given day it's not up a lot or down a lot because. It's just that steady type of performance. And it's the nature of the company of what it does. It's just a high margin business. They're making their money off of their, their membership fees. Yeah, and that's really the key, right? Uh, all their yeah. products that they sell, there's not a lot of margin on those. They're like just razor thin. Razor right? thin. Yeah, but it's, it's really the, the membership fees. That, yeah. That's where they're really like, making the money. What else? What other company does that? Like Amazon. Exactly, right? So it's kind of funny that the difference in the... <laughs> we didn't rehearse. I know, I know. You put me on the spot right there. Um, and what is Bezos' home address? I'm <laughs> <laughs> no, just kidding. Um, but you can see that the, the volatility of Amazon has slowed down these yes. days. It's yes. been a bit of a laggard, although it's setting up in a cup and a handle right now. But um, so it's kind of changed, morphed into a Costco type of thing because it's big numbers and they treat their employees so well. I was just watching a, um, uh, on Mad Money the other day, Jim Cramer yeah. interviewed the CEO. It was a great, excellent um, interview. And they just treat their employees so well that how that helps is customers are happy because they're around a bunch of you know friendly, happy people. And their turnover employees is very low, so they don't have to train them. It, it's, it's a great model. Yeah. So go. let's go to the daily to just kind of go over the nitty gritty. So it's this tiny little base. The RS line is lagging, so I'm not thrilled about that. But this is not a high octane name, and it just kind of you know came out of this cup without handle. Um, or a flat base. Or a flat base. Yeah, it, it's, small. yeah. Well, one or the other. Yeah, you can look at it both ways. And the 300 level was kind of a key level uh, psychologically. We like those round numbers. It goes back to the Livermore days. And you know what I'm talking right. about with yes. those, you know, whenever a stock goes through up 100, 200, 300, and, and so on, it's important. Um, it was able to go through that, stay above it. And then it had a really powerful move yesterday, right. um, which is kind of uncharacteristic of, of Costco. And, and breaking out of that flat base uh, uh, on Market Smith with the pattern recognition. Yeah, exactly. And the, um, and the volume was pretty good too, 74% above average. For, for a, a stock Costco. like this? Yeah. yeah it's, 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 yeah, that's a massive move. So, anyways, um, you, what I'm expecting from this is not a huge move, but this is a, that helps balance out my portfolio yeah. with some of the other stocks we're going to talk about now. Right. Yeah, it's a steady Freddy, as we call. Let's or go steady to, Eddie. Or steady Eddie. Yeah. <laughs> let's, let's go to the second stock, and that's XP. Yeah. So, you want, you want some high octane? Uh, you're going to get it with XP. Yeah. And, I have shares of this. Me too. You have shares. So this less looks, shares, right? To handle the volatility, though, too. Yeah. Right? Um, so this, uh, you know, kind of looks like the Google IPO is one of the things we talked about That's on true. IBD Live a couple yep. weeks ago. I think Justin Nielsen brought that up. And <clears throat> if you go back and look at the original um, Google IPO, you can see that it had just a short little move up. Um, and then you came down, not undercutting the original uh, first couple days of trading, d didn't undercut the, the IPO price, and the depth was only 12% on, on Google, and it was 12% here. Wow. 
And what's also interesting is the characteristic of this stock to on its up days to close mid-range is something that Google had on very early on too. That's really interesting. Yeah, and so it, I don't like that, you know, that that feeling of closing mid-range when it should close on the top quartile or so or you know even at the the tippy tippy top. Right. But this is what it's giving you. So you know to ex, you know kind of expect that out of out of this. So um I think it looks classic. This is, you know, in Brazil and they're, you know, Bro- other people are saying that they're like the the Charles Schwab of, of Brazil is the That's nickname that, that someone else gave them, a, a different broker gave them. And, and you can see that there's a lot of volume there. It traded two and a half million shares today. So it's not like a lot of the other IPOs that are out there that are kind of thin little goodies that um, with volume means there's institutions in there yep. behind it. I look, the T. Rowe is all over this one. A lot of their funds have a position. So this is a classic where you could have bought it with the downtrend in that IPO. Um, and that's where we were first buying it. Uh, um, on, the, on the date of uh, January 17th as, yep. it, as it came through there. Yep. And then as it went through the high of the IPO base, right. um, that's where you're, 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 you could either start buying it or you could add on to it. And that's yep. what I was doing with this one. So far, so good. We'll see how it plays out. Um, you know, if it went under 38 and closed under there, I'd probably be, you know, exiting it and looking to get it back into it, um, you know, at a different setup. Perfect. Let's go to the third and <clears throat> final stock. And this is Axon, uh, ticker symbol AAXN. And it used to have another name, right, Mike? Oh, quiz. You like that? Quiz, like that? I like the quiz. Yeah, Taser. I still think of it as Taser. That's so this right. is the Taser stun gun. And let's start off with the monthly chart on this one. And, and their their story now is not necessarily the stun gun, yeah. but the body cameras. The body right? camera the body and cameras the and service. it's going to the cloud. Yep. And and so uh, yet another company that's kind of transitioned to the cloud, capturing all the data. They have law enforcement. They're kind of the one stop to really go for law enforcement. So they're capturing that whole whole market. Yeah, exactly. So they're broadening out rather than being kind of a one-hit wonder like they were before. And like you said, having the, the service part of it where, it, you know, kind of a cloud play, you know, in a way, right. um, that's going to help with the revenue stream. Now, they got hit recently because there's some dispute with the – with the government and you know I don't want to get into that and that is a risk yep. with this one. So um, it did have that huge move back in 03. Um, let's go to the daily real quick because I, I think we're at pretty much out of time but it formed that larger consolidation that was you know it had three waves down in there very powerful um, after the earnings yep. but it's been wild and you know kind of wild and crazy or wide and loose. Um, so you, I'm trading it, but I'm not going to have a big position right. in it. One, and because have we have that over. Yep. Oh, you do? Yes. Um, the uh, Great minds think alike. I know. It's kind of scary. Yeah. Well, I don't know if it's great minds, but our minds think well, alike. Well, you're great, so I'm thinking like you. So, um, But anyway, so now we have this little double bottom that it just cleared today. Um, and so that that's where you know I was buying it. Um, I was in it before when the negative news came out. I, you know, I sold it. Just was being Gumby and just nice. circle back, man. I you like see it. what nice I did there? Tile. That was really cool. Uh, it's kind of like a Seinfeld episode. So you um, just have to be willing to sell it. Uh, when that news came out, it took a you know seven percent loss or whatever. And right. then today, as it was breaking out, you just have to compartmentalize that loss and buy it back. 
um, if it closes under today's low, um, you know, I'll probably be you oh, know, out of 60. it. 60. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Okay, perfect. Well, there are three stocks that are worth considering uh, for the watch list. You know, sure. Mike and I, I think, are no. We're, we're on all three of these. Yeah. Which is, yeah. So, so uh, Mike, thanks so much for joining us on the third segment. And uh, those precedents are definitely going to be helpful. Thanks for putting up with me. Yeah, as always. <laughs> and thanks once again to Ian Formigli for joining us at the beginning of the show and uh, educating us on what CrowdStreet is doing in the commercial real estate investment environment. So that's it for this week on Investing with IBD. Next week, we are going to have Scott Redler, Chief Strategic Officer of T3 Live. And he's a regular guest on CNBC, Bloomberg, Fox Business. And now you can put Investing with IBD podcasts on wow. there too. You know that. So that's it. I'm Arusha Pierce, and thanks for listening. And for this week's Nilton Charts, make sure to go to Investors.com slash podcast, where you'll find details for each episode in the podcast episode section. And make sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast if you haven't already. We'd really appreciate it. You can also send us your questions and comments to investingpodcast at Investors.com. We would love to hear from you and may use your comments on an upcoming episode. This podcast is for informational and educational purposes only, and nothing should be construed as a recommendation to buy, hold, or sell any securities. Make sure to consider consulting with your financial advisor before making any investment decisions.